Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Just Recall Podcast. As always, this is Miles Wilson. I hope you're having a fantastic day. If you are tuning in, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we do kind of have a tight squeeze podcast, or at least I, I wrote a lot of stuff. I don't know how fast I'll get it out. Usually I write a lot of stuff and end up talking way faster. Or at least I get my point across a lot faster than I think I do. But I, this is going to be Super Bowl content, and I decided to wait until Thursday so I could go ahead and put trade deadline content in it because I didn't want to go ahead and break it up into two separate podcasts because it probably would only been maybe 15, 20 minutes each. Instead, I'll give you just the whole 30 or 40 minute podcast. You can just listen to it in one setting. So the first half is going to be Super Bowl recap. Second half is going to be trade deadline content. And so if you want to skip ahead, go ahead and skip ahead because I know the trade deadline is more recent. But I do want to talk about the Super Bowl and... It's sad, you know, because the NFL season is over. Like, you wait all year long for September to roll around, or really August when the preseason games start, and then college kicks off, and then the football season is officially underway. And it's like you wait all year long for that, and then it seems like the season ends so fast. I remember last year waiting on this season to start. Me and my friends were all really hyped. We started our fantasy football. We were trying to get ready, trying to see if we wanted to go to any local games. And now the season is over. Uh, I am glad that it ended this way. I'm glad that we got a good Super Bowl. And this was a, actually a great way to end off the 100th season of the NFL. Congratulations to Kansas City being crowned the champions. Congrats. But before I talk about the game, I have to talk about the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy does not have a head coaching job in the NFL. This is a crime. Uh, I don't know if someone needs to be fired or arrested because this is an absolute travesty. I don't know what law we need to put in because the ruling rule isn't working. I don't really even like this isn't even about race. I don't care if he's black or white. This dude is a fantastic coach. Like he's taken over the main play calling duties for this season for the Chiefs. And in the Super Bowl, he put on an absolute clinic. I don't know why more teams did not wait till after the playoffs were over to find their head coach. I understand that the Skins wanted to be first. I, I guess the Cleveland Browns had their eyes set on Stefanski the whole time. And I guess Dallas kind of is just Dallas. They wanted to find a guy that would just be a good coach and let Jerry Jones be the face of the franchise still. I don't know. But of the five teams that needed a head coach, Cleveland, the Giants, Carolina, the Skins, and Dallas – only three of the teams brought him in. I will give Carolina a pass because they had an excellent hire in Matt Rule. They really did their research. They went out and got Joe Brady, too. Those are two fantastic hires. They get a pass for not hiring Eric Bieniemy. The Giants, I will also give them a slight pass because Joe Judge coached under Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. I get the upside that you're going for. You get a pass, too. The Skins, you get a pass. They hired Ron Rivera well before all this happened. Same for Dallas. They hired. They didn't even bring him in, so whatever. But Cleveland, how dare you? What? what why? Like, is like last time I talked about Cleveland, I understand they went Kevin Stefanski because they went Freddie Kitchens because their owner wanted Freddie Kitchens. And now they're going Kevin Stefanski because they're whatever he is. He's not their GM, but whatever. The guy is to the owner. He's their info advisor, whatever he is. He wanted Kevin Stefanski last year, and they decided to go Kitchens instead. So now they're going 
with Stefanski. But after the clinic that you just saw this man put on, you really have to think, man, did we did we choose the wrong guy? And especially for Cleveland, because if this Stefanski thing doesn't work out, you have to look and see that they brought in Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator for the the Baltimore Ravens. They brought in Eric Enemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Robert Salah, the Chiefs, the 49ers defensive coordinator. And they brought in Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator. And they left with Kevin Stefanski out of all those fantastic options that they brought in and actually wanted the head coaching job. They left with Kevin Stefanski. If this doesn't work out and they're not able to get any of those people, this is going to be looked back on as a huge stain on a very stained, awful Cleveland Browns franchise. And that's really hard to do because they're the historically bad and they're making another historically bad move. But whatever. Honestly, what I hope happens is I hope Andy Reid sits him down and tells him, in a few years, I'm going to retire. Maybe three to five years, I'm going to retire. And I want you to stay with this team. And I want you to be the next head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I want you to keep Patrick Mahomes and keep this dynasty going. I don't know if it will happen. I don't know if Andy Reid's going to retire. I don't know. I don't even know how old Andy Reid is. He's probably in his 60s. But, man, the, after the clinic that Eric Bieniemy put on in the playoffs, I am so disappointed in at least one of these teams not picking him up. It's... That's just unfortunate. But anyways, now we get to talk about the actual game. We get to talk about Super Bowl 54, where the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 on Sunday. And I'm glad we got a solid game because the previous few years, they'd either been eh, like last year was boring because it was 13-10. to The year before, I don't know if that was the Eagles game or not. That was cool. I, I liked seeing someone other than the Patriots win. But... They haven't been incredibly exciting. I haven't really cared too much about them. I really like this Super Bowl. And I'm just glad it wasn't boring. I'm also glad it wasn't a blowout because the 49ers have been blowing out opponents for the past few games, and I really would have hated to see that. I'm glad we got a competitive game, but I really wish that this game would have ended differently because the narratives, for the most part, that are being talked about are all, like, kind of negative, like, honestly, like, from both sides, and I really don't like that, like, I try to be as positive as possible on every time I get on here, and, like, every time I'm listening to somebody or I see something, because I try not to listen to, like, traditional outlets, because I don't ever want my opinions to be swayed, I like coming on here with my own content, but coming out here, li- listening to these narratives, people are talking about Patrick Mahomes didn't deserve the Super Bowl MVP. People are talking about Jimmy G lost in the game and Kyle Shanahan choked again. And I'm just like, well, what's up with all this negativity? Like, this is an unnecessary amount of negativity. Like, well, is some of it fair? Does a lot of it have merit? Sure. I understand where you're coming from. But is that all people should be talking about? Absolutely not. The 49ers had a hell of a season. And they should not hang their heads about this loss at all. And in my eyes, it's specifically for two reasons. One, the team is bringing back almost all of their pieces. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is I don't think Jimmy Ward is on contract for next year. I don't know if they'll bring him back or not or look for the draft for another safety. But I know I don't think Jimmy, Jimmy Ward is under contract. So most of their pieces are coming back. Same team coming back. Same excellent defense is coming back. And the second team is they were the better team for three and a half quarters, and they probably should have won that game. 
And I honestly think that's why it hurts more for the 49ers and for 49er fans, honestly. They didn't win because Kyle Shanahan got out of the game plan, similar to how the Titans got out of the game plan. And Jimmy G played like a quarterback who just started his first full year as a starter. Both of these things are true. And of the two things, the one that actually only concerns me is Shanahan's decision making. Because, yeah, this happened in Super Bowl 51. We know 28 to 3. And, yeah, it happened this year, too. But he did it multiple times during the season. It happened in the Falcons game, and they lost. It happened in the Seahawks game in overtime where they went for three straight passes in OT, where at worst they would have been playing for a tie if they just ran the ball. They threw three straight incompletions, lost that game. There were flashes of it in the Saints game, but thankfully he just went back to what was working and kept at it with Jimmy G, and they ended up winning that game. And this team isn't often in disadvantageous positions enough for to get a big sample size of it. But in the few games where the defense isn't winning them the game, this other side of Shanahan comes out for some reason. And it's like, scare money don't make money. I don't know why he's deciding to get out of the game plan and clutch and crunch time. Like the run game was clearly working. Even in that even when that uh George Kittle got that pass interference call. Like the play before, Mostert broke one off for 17. So even if that happened, just go back to the run game once you get out the half. I don't know why he started to get so pass happy. That and it's that's the only one I'm really concerned about. Because as far as Jimmy G, I don't really care. Like I, I really don't. This is his first full season as a starter. And he held down the fort and helped lead his team to a Super Bowl. Should he have made that throw that everyone's talking about? Yes, he should. Did he miss some easy reads? Yes. Why? Nerves beat him. After the first few drives, he stopped going through his progressions fully. He regressed mechanically. He got happy feet. And that cost him. It happens. It's his first full year as a starter. And he was thrown into a Super Bowl game. And Kyle Shanahan said, hey, we want you to start throwing the ball more. That, that doesn't really mix too well. And honestly, the two interceptions he threw didn't really make a difference in the game either. Like, I understand people want to talk about, oh, he threw two interceptions. Okay, so the first one only resulted in three points. And it's not like he just laid the three points in their lap. He was trying to throw the ball away. The pressure got in his face. Bashard Bila made an incredible play on the ball. That's what happened. He didn't just make a bad read and Bashard Bila took it off. No, he was trying to get the ball out of bounds. It didn't get out of bounds because he got hit while he threw. Rashad Beeland broke on the ball, made a great play. And the second one was literally a prayer at the end of the game, and it was 31-20, to 20, and it was pretty much over because even if they did score, Kansas City would have the ball. San Francisco would have no timeouts. They could have just kneeled it out. And that's if they didn't get an onside kick. So uh, the game was pretty much over. And it's like this doesn't concern me because my thoughts about him haven't changed. I believe this offseason he'll become an even better quarterback. I believe he clean up some of the mistakes he made this season and in this game. And they'll be right back in playoff contention and they'll be right back in Super Bowl contention next season. And this isn't even what people should be talking about because being clutch is hard. Jimmy Garoppolo is not Tom Brady. Like, it is hard. Everything that this game tells me is that it is really hard to be Tom Brady. It is really hard to be that good, that clutch, make all the throws. Because if you look at the tape, Jimmy G's mechanics were fine. His eyes were downfield. He did everything right. But what happened is the ball just kind of sailed on him. That was it. He just looked at his eyes. He, he did everything right. 
the guy was wide open, and the ball just kind of sailed on him. Did everything right. Tom Brady makes that throw. Why? Because he's been that been there before. The first Super Bowl he ever won, he started off with confidence. So I understand, but it's hard to just be plunged into that situation and be expected to make that play. But what people should be talking about instead of Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan is how incredible the team played that game. Bosa, Nick Bosa is going to be a force in this league for years to come because there was not one time that I looked up and Bosa was not throwing Eric Fisher around like he was a toddler. Nick Bosa was incredible. I don't know what what his stats looked like at the end of the game. I honestly don't. I don't know if he had any sacks at all, but I know that his pressures were through the roof. I know that he was within arm's reach of the quarterback at all times. And you can actually say the exact same thing about their defensive tackle, DeForest Buckner. He was just the same. He was throwing the interior O-line around. The only one that didn't get bullied, honestly, for the offensive line was Mitchell Schwartz. He held down the Ford all game. But Bosa and Buckner were absolute forces all game. They played fantastic. Debo Samuel on the offensive side of the ball was fantastic. He was playing hard. He was running hard every time he touched the ball. He was running like he wanted to put six on the board. That was awesome to watch because not a lot of players play like that. A lot of players just try and get what they can get. Debo Samuel was running like he wanted to score every single time he touched the ball. And that was pretty cool to watch. That's what people should be talking about. They played hard all game. Literally everybody on the 49ers played hard all game. Fred Warner looked good out there. Quan Alexander looked good out there. They were trying to take Mahomes out the game. Everybody was trying to take his head off. They were all playing really hard on the defensive side of the ball. I honestly would have said that Debo Samuel had an excellent chance to be the Super Bowl MVP if the 49ers won. That's how hard he was playing. And then Joe Staley and McGlinchey played well all game. They kept the edge pressure off of Jimmy G. The interior O-line got worked, but Chris Jones was playing fantastic, so I understand that. But the two tackles were keeping the edge pressure off of Jimmy G, so I thought that was pretty cool. But that's what people should be talking about. This team will be good for years to come. Joe Staley may may not be there in a few years, but you can always draft a tackler, get a tackle in free agency. But I honestly would not get too low off of this loss. This is a very good team. You can't act like this team won't be in the playoffs next year and won't be contending or at least be competitive for the next five to six years. And now for the Kansas City Chiefs. First off, congrats to Andrew Reid. He deserved it. After 21 years, he finally gets his ring, and I'm happy for the guy. He coached a hell of a game. He was aggressive. He was smart. He didn't try and change Mahomes. Even after he threw two interceptions, he was like, keep firing, keep doing you. A-plus job, A-plus playoff run, A-plus story, and a great way to cap it off. And now for Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes, did he deserve the award over Damian Williams or whoever else you want to argue? Absolutely, 100% unequivocally absolutely yes Patrick Mahomes was putting his body on the line all night you I don't care what you have to say about the two interceptions I don't care he was putting his body on the line from start to finish he took a shot from Quan Alexander on his first touchdown run. He took a shot from Nick Bosa on that fourth and one conversion where he had to pitch it back to Damian Williams and get the first down. 
He took another shot on a run by Jaquisti Tart on a third and 11, mind you. It was a 10-yard run, and he took a shot from Jaquisti Tart, and he got up talking about, that was a good hit, bro. I'm going to get back, and we're going to convert on another fourth down. And then he dove on a fumble when people criticized Cam Newton for not diving on that fumble because he didn't want to get hurt. Patrick Mahomes did that exact same play, but he dove on the fumble in the pile, and he took a shot then, too. I think he took a shot from D. Ford on that one. But... This was all before he led the comeback. Most of this was in the first half when it was still 10 to 10. He played fantastic. He put his body on the line. He went out there and left it all on the field. He absolutely deserves the Super Bowl MVP for the performance he had even before he led the comeback. And yes, I understand. He had one bad pick. He didn't even see Fred Warner. If you listen to the mic'd up, it's he was talking about how he tried to roll out of the pocket, but then the pressure got to him and he tried to just throw it over the top. He just didn't get it. He was a bad pick. He kind of didn't see him. And then the other one was slightly behind, just slightly. Tyreek Hill should have caught that ball. He didn't. I call that 50-50, half on the quarterback, half on the receiver. And good play by Moore. I don't know his first name, but good play by Moore for catching that ball. But honestly, the second one wasn't that bad. And they only scored off one of them, and it was only three points. So, and guess what? After those two picks, he didn't get distraught. His head wasn't down. You didn't see him get discouraged. And actually, if you have not seen that mic'd up, just go look up NFL mic'd up, Super Bowl 54. Go look at the mic'd up. After he threw the first pick, he went over to the sideline right before his team went out. And even after the team went out, he was like, hey, that last one's on me. We're scoring on every single drive from here on out. And then guess what he did after that? He threw another interception. And then guess what he said the next time they were about to go out on the field? We're about to put up seven on the board, and we're going to make them tighten up. And guess what they did? He made an incredible pass to Tyreek Hill. They put seven on the board, and they made him tighten up. He, this team has a remarkable amount of confidence. Even the defense was talking about zero doubt. This is when they were down. This is before that Patrick Mahomes even made the play to Tyreek Hill. The defense was talking about, hey, the game isn't in doubt, zero doubt. Tyra Matthews was gassing his guys up. Frank Clark was gassing his guys up. Chris Jones was gassing his guys up. Everybody was talking about, hey, the game isn't in doubt. All we need to do is get a stop and get the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. And they did. And he went right back out to making play after play. Literally every time he touched the ball from that point on, he had the clutch pass on the third and 15 to Tyreek. And that play is so incredible because, one, there was a guy draped all over him. I, I don't know who it was. I think it was DeForest Buckner draped all over him. He could not even step into the throw, and he literally threw it into a spot where only Tyreek could get back to the ball. That ball was either going to be incomplete or it was going to be a Tyreek Hill completion, and he threw it with all arm. That was all rocket launcher. That was extremely impressive. And then they ended up scoring on that drive, and they brought him to within three. Then he dropped it into a bucket to Sammy Watkins on the next drive out. And threw another touchdown that gave him the lead. And then Damian Williams iced it with a 38-yard touchdown run. None of that happens without Patrick Mahomes. All game long, Patrick Mahomes kept them in this game. He kept them alive. He kept making tight window throws. He kept making clutch plays. And he kept putting his body all on the line for his team. There is no question at all that he deserved that MVP. And I, you can really simplify it down to this. If you put another quarterback back there, he doesn't do what Mahomes did. But you could put another running back back there, and he could do exactly what Damian Williams did. And 
even though Patrick Mahomes was incredible, I, you do have to give credit to the other people on the team. He wasn't the only deciding factor. Brashad Beelan played like a man on a mission all game. He had, I think, two pass deflections, an interception, and a couple tackles for loss that were key tackles in open space. And then Chris Jones, you can't say enough about him because he didn't have a sack all playoffs. I, I don't even think he had a tackle in this game. And on S- Sunday, he came up so big with those pass deflections he had at the line of scrimmage. He had three pass deflections all game. All came at the line of scrimmage. And Chris Jones, in my opinion, would have had the second best case for Super Bowl MVP over Damian Williams because those three pass deflections were so huge. Two of them came in the drive before he made that, that before Jimmy Garoppolo missed that deep pass to Emmanuel Sanders. Both of those were going to be completions in at least 10-yard games if Chris Jones doesn't bat those down at the line of scrimmage. You can look at the box score all you want. No tackles, no sacks, but he bullied the interior O-line all, all night. He put the pressure on Jimmy G. He made him uncomfortable, and that those three bat downs at the line of scrimmage were definitely huge down the stretch of the game. And overall, I did enjoy the game. Is it in my top five? No. Was it bad? No. Do I wish Jimmy Garoppolo would have completed that pass so Mahomes would have had to try and score in under two minutes with three timeouts? Absolutely. That would have made for the best storyline. And it honestly would have probably been in my top five if it would if they would have pulled it off. That would have been fantastic and incredible ending. I am okay with what we have now. I hope the 49ers can make it back to a Super Bowl. I would love to see how Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan improve off this game and how this team bounces back from this season. And now, it did bring up the interesting point, since I was talking about how Jimmy G is not Tom Brady. One of the Super Bowl commercials was about Tom Brady. It was a Hulu commercial, and he was just advertising. He was talking about, oh, my family and friends should hear this from my mouth. And it all just ended up being an ad where he said that Hulu has live sports. And while Hulu might do this, this, and this, I'm not retiring. Basically what I got from it, Tom Brady's not retiring And a lot of people are speculating that he leaves New England. I don't think he leaves New England. Uh, I just, I can't see that happening. Like, I understand Peyton Manning leaving Indianapolis. Like, I was like, okay, well, he still wants to play. Indianapolis doesn't want him anymore. I understand. But, like, Phillip Rivers leaving the Chargers, they don't want him anymore. But I don't know if he wants to play anymore. The way he was talking at the end of the season, it seems like he doesn't want to play anymore. It seems like he wants to spend time with his family. So I wouldn't understand him going to a different team. Same for Drew Brees. Drew Brees, the team wants him back. He wants to play, but he doesn't know if he's going to be able to give the game his all. If he retires, I understand, but I wouldn't be able to see him going to a different team. The same applies for Tom Brady. I think if if Tom Brady's not in a New England jersey, it's because he's on his couch watching football. I don't think that he's going to be in a different jersey. If he does... Hey, I'm wrong. Who cares? But I just can't see it. I won't believe it till it happens. But if he did, I think this will be fun. I think I'll give you five places that I would like to see Tom Brady in because it would be an interesting fit and he would be able to be able to contend. Forewarning, this is all fantasy. I don't believe any of these will happen. But if he were to leave New England, this is where I'd want to see him. And number one, I have the Indianapolis Colts. This is never going to happen because of Peyton Manning, but this would be cool because I do think this is one of the teams that are a quarterback away from contending 
if they address the wide receiver position for the free agency or the draft. And they can grab an interior defensive lineman too, and maybe another edge, and that would just put them over the top. But they already have A-plus ownership, A-plus coaching, an A-plus O-line, an underrated defense, and running back. And this Tom Brady being on that team would definitely make them an immediate contender because people thought they were a contender when Jacoby Brissett was playing good earlier in the season. So Tom Brady would definitely put them over the top. And at minimum, they would make the playoffs. At number two, this is going to be probably my favorite. I think this will be the best fit. I think this team would immediately be my favorite for the Super Bowl if he went here. Tom Brady to the Chicago Bears. I will not saying stop saying the Bears need, need a quarterback until they get a quarterback because I don't know why they picked a quarterback from a basketball school. I don't know what the hell they were thinking or their GM Pace was thinking, but they need a quarterback. I will keep saying it until the draft is over, until free agency is over, all of this is over, whether it's Cam Newton, Alex Smith, Teddy Bridgewater, I don't really care. They need a quarterback, and Tom Brady going to this team immediately makes them Super Bowl contenders. Their defense is great. Their coach is great. Their offense is great with plenty of weapons and speed on the outside. And he also has a wide receiver one. They have a fantastic defense. This would be the perfect fit easily. And then number three, imagine if Drew Brees retires. And instead of moving on to Taysom Hill or keeping Teddy Bridgewater, Tom Brady signs there for the next two to three years. And he gets to have another coach, inherits that offense with those weapons, with a good defense. And if they get a wide receiver, two in the draft, it would be absolutely quiet for the remainder of the NFC. They wouldn't be able to do anything at all. Like, that would be it. It would that I'm immediately going to pick the Saints to come out of the NFC. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Number four, uh, I just put L.A. Because the Chargers or the Rams, I don't really care. Like, both of these teams lost games this year because their quarterback just didn't play good enough. And Brady solves that issue immediately. Because there were games where Jared Goff would throw for, I think, against the Bucks this year. He threw almost 70 times and they lost. And this happened multiple times this season for both teams, whether it was Phillip Rivers throwing too many picks or Jared Goff just not being good enough. It happened, and I think Tom Brady goes in there, immediately solves that problem. The Chargers have the better defense with better offensive weapons, but they have a really bad O-line, and I just don't know if Tom Brady would fit there because of how much pressure he would be under, even though he was under a, a lot of more pressure than he's used to this year. And with the Chargers, it would be a totally different kind of pressure because they're O-line. Uh, but the Rams have the better offense. I think, in my opinion, they have three good wide receivers, a healthy tight end because Hunter Henry just can't stay healthy. But when healthy, Hunter Henry's better. They have two good tight ends. They have a better O-line than the Chargers, even though their O-line last year was not great at all. Which So saying a better O-line than the Chargers might not be saying much. But Brady would immediately make both of these teams play out. And then number five, this is the ultimate retirement move. This is the, hey, I'm just going to take it easy and relax for the next two to three years of my career. And this one is the Tennessee Titans. And he would literally have to do nothing but hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 30 times a game for the next two to three years, pass maybe 20 to 25 times a game behind a good O-line with solid weapons. I'd, I'd even say good weapons. 
good coaching. And it's a good city to retire in and just chill. You just live in Brentwood for the rest of his life in a big house and just relax, let his kids go to high school and just live out the remainder of his years here in Tennessee. Now that we're done with that, we're even going to move on to even more fun stuff. We get to talk about hoops and the NBA trade deadline. And it got interesting as the day went on. Because at first, it was just the the one trade with the Rockets, the 14 trade. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, cool. I don't know how much more interesting it'll get. But this is a cool start. But then some really good moves were made along with some head scratchers. So I'm going to start with the trades that I loved. And it's the 14 trade. Atlanta gets Clint Capella for a first round pick from Brooklyn. They get to keep their first round pick. And all they really gave up was the first Brooklyn's first round pick, which probably won't even be a lottery pick because I think they're the seven or eight seed right now. So this is a team that loves the pick and roll. And I love this move so much because it is so good for Trey Young and his development. They've got so much better as a starting five now because of Clint Capella. They've got Young, Herter, Hunter, Collins, and Capella as their starting five now. No more having Collins at the five and running the pick and roll and nothing coming of it because he is terrible at the five. Even when they have Alex Lynn, it's like Alex Lynn can set screens, but he doesn't roll to the basket as efficiently. John Collins was good at the pick and roll game, but he he just... He's not big enough to run the five at all. He would get worked running the five every time. But now they have Capella. Even though Capella isn't an incredible defender, he's at least bigger. He can at least move better. He's just as good at catching lobs as him. He maybe is a few years away from being a better rim protector. I don't know. But they even kept Cam Reddish, Jeff T, kept the depth there. And they also stayed flexible long-term with their contracts. Even though they're going to eat those last few years of Dwayne Dedman, or not Dwayne Dedman, uh, actually, is his name Dwayne Dedman? I think his name is Dwayne Dedman. So even though they're going to eat the last few years of that Dwayne De- Dedman contract, they're still staying flexible because they can add value to him by him playing good there, and they can always get rid of him. Or they can just keep him because they're not going to be championship contenders this year or next year. And in 2022, they'll be done with this contract. They can keep Capella, and if all these pieces work, they can keep Trey, they can keep Hunter, they can keep Collins, they can keep Capella. And if Cam Reddish pans out, they can keep him. And they're still going to be a very good young team with plenty of cap space. And then my second favorite trade of the day was Minnesota getting D'Angelo Russell and moves on from Andrew Wiggins. Yes, thank you. Carl Anthony Towns finally has someone that he wants to play with. This is an A-plus trade because both of these guys needed a scenery change. At the beginning of the season, people knew that D'Angelo Russell was going to get traded. We just didn't know when. Me, personally, I didn't think it was going to come at the trade deadline. I thought they were going to let him play all season, build up his trade value, and then go get him, go get somebody for him in the offseason. But they didn't turn out that way. I'm glad they moved this way because I like this trade for both teams. This uh, Andrew Wiggins fits so much better with the Warriors than D'Angelo Russell did because it would be a really weird lineup if they had two guards in Steph and D'Lo and then had Clay running the three. It'd be really small. Now they have Steph and Clay back at the backcourt, and then they have Andrew Wiggins running the three, and that'd be that's a great team for him to go to because that is a winning culture and all he might have needed to turn himself around is a group of guys like that, a group of vets to 
keep his head on straight and make sure he works as hard because he's not he's not terrible. He's just disappointing. He had a great rookie season and then he just didn't really improve from there. Getting him in that winning culture might allow him to improve even more. And then on top of that, they got Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez from Denver. The Timberwolves did from that same four-way trade with the Hawks and all those guys. They got Wancho and Malik Beasley that adds more depth to the team and actually good rotational pieces because those are two very underrated players in the league and this team at minimum is going to be competitive for the next few years to come they're not going to make the playoffs at least I don't think so I think they're too far gone for now to make the playoffs this year but I don't think they'll be getting blown out of games like like they were I don't think they'll just be losing like that and honestly, this is really cool because at the beginning of this season, there was a Slam Magazine cover where they were interviewing D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Devin Booker. And when they were talking to Carl Anthony Towns, they were like, oh, yeah, I want to stay in Minnesota for the rest of my career. But I also want to play with these two guys. I want to play with D'Angelo Russell, his best friend, and he wants to play with Devin Booker. And the interesting thing is they just traded for D'Angelo Russell. And in 2024, Carl Anthony Towns will be a free agent. In 2023, D'Angelo Russell will be a free agent. And in 2024, Devin Booker will be a free agent. So if Minnesota is smart with their money and they manage everything correctly, in 2024, they might be able to bring that reality together that Cat wanted, where they get to keep Cat in Minnesota and they get to bring in Devin Booker and somehow keep D'Angelo Russell. I don't know how it will work. The money could definitely work if they manage their money correctly. And I don't know if the players will take cuts so they get better players around them. But if those three players somehow are able to be together on the same team in 2024, that would be awesome. That would be really cool. I really like this trade for Minnesota. And then this is kind of controversial because a lot of people didn't like this, especially Pistons fan. I am a Pistons fan. I'm from Detroit. I like the Pistons. They were the first team I ever saw won a championship. And I like this trade. I really do like this trade. The, the Pistons have been in no man's land for an entire decade. I've watched an entire decade of Pistons basketball where they have been the 11th, 10th, 9th, or 8th seed. They have not gotten any better and they have not gotten any worse. They've been teetering on 25 to 40 wins for an entire decade and it was time it 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 was definitely time hopefully this is Detroit hitting the reset button not just them and Andre Drummond not being on the same page but I really hope this is them doing a proper rebuild because they've tried to do this whole on the go rebuild thing where they just try and keep a few pieces that they like and then trade for other guys like that Blake Griffin trade really seemed like it was out of desperation to me giving Reggie Jackson 18 20 million dollars a year was not a bright idea because no one else was even offering him close to that amount of money don't know what in the world Stan Van Gundy was thinking but it was definitely time this is a good trade because they got John Henson and Brandon Knight and both of those contracts are expiring. They made the money match and got two expiring contracts. So next year, they will have freed up about $55 million in cash space, if I'm correct, because Drummond was making about 30 mil. And then this is Reggie Jackson's last year. I doubt they'll bring him back. That's another 20 mil. And then I believe this is the last year that they pay 
Josh Smith. I think we've been paying him since like 2010. I think this is the last year that we pay Josh Smith. So that rounds out to around 50-ish mil. And that's that's great. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't know if they're going to just slowly bring in like one to two year contracts just until Blake Griffin's contract expires. But if they do, if this if this is them hitting the, the reset button, then I like this. This is a good move. They can finally start the rebuilding process properly. And they also kept their young pieces. They kept Seku. They kept Kennard. They kept Bruce Brown. This is a good trade. I really like if this is the direction that the Pistons are heading in. Uh, I also thought the Marcus Morris deal was good, even though that's not really what they needed. They have enough one-way players. They have Patrick Beverly. He's a one-way guy. They have uh, Montrezl Harrell. He's a one-way guy. He doesn't really do much other than that. And then they added another one-way guy in Marcus Morris, which is good because he's a shooter and he's a very efficient shooter. But I do think they needed more size. They needed rebounding. They needed defense. But overall, not a bad trade. It was a solid move. That everything Miami did was also great. And if they would have pulled off that Gallinari trade, man, Pat Riley would be a genius. But I do like them going out to get Andre Iguodala. I don't like them giving him a $30 million extension without him having played basketball at all this year. And then I do like them also adding Jay Crowder. This has become a ext- much better defensive team after those two trades. But man, if they would have pulled off that Gallinari trade, I would have pegged them as a threat to contend with Milwaukee. I still think if they end up in a six, six seven game series and maybe the conference finals, I, I'm still tending to lean towards Milwaukee, but this does make them a legitimate contender to come out of the East. And then the trades I hated, Houston, what are you doing? Like I get, Clint Capella has not been fantastic for Houston. I understand why they traded Clint Capella. I don't understand why they traded him for nothing or at least not another center, or at least after they traded him for nothing, why they didn't go out and get another center. Because Tyson Chandler ain't putting no minutes in for you. I don't know who the hell you have after Tyson Chandler, but that trade makes absolutely zero sense. This whole lineup that Mike D'Antoni wants to go for, or maybe it's Daryl Morey that wanted, that pulled the trigger and didn't even talk to D'Antoni about it, but it makes absolutely no sense. They, they just play the Lakers. The game just went off. And they won the game, but they didn't win because the lineup worked so well. They won because Russell Westbrook was playing fantastic. And the Lakers were out there BS and they, they missed a lot of open layups right at the goal. Goal. And I'm, I'm this is awful. This is not going to work in the playoffs. I am willing to bet any amount of money that this does not work long term. This is not working the playoffs. And by next year they will have a center on the roster because this is bad. PJ Tucker at the five, going up against Rudy Gobert in the playoffs is not going to work no matter how you slice it. It's just not. And then the only other thing that I hated, there weren't really many, many trades that I hated. I like what the Grizzlies did. I like all that. But the Lakers should have moved coups, and they should have been more aggressive going after people because I think they have enough to compete, but I don't know if they have enough to win a championship. Like, their pieces are good. But they're not as good as they could be because Kyle Kuzma is not very good. Like, he cool and all, but he's really just cool for that little random 
scoring explosion. He's not very good defensively. He's not a very good perimeter or interior defender. He doesn't rebound extremely well. He's just kind of big. He's a 6'9 Jordan Clarkson, and that's really it. He'll score every now and then, but other than that, he's just kind of out there doing cardio. And I think they could have moved on for him, or maybe people see exactly what I see, and his trade value is not high at all, and they're just going to have to wait for his contract to expire. I don't know. The GMs will know better than me, but I think the Lakers should have been more aggressive, either trying to go after Marcus Morris or whomever. They could have hit up the Pistons for Markeith Morris. They could have went after, like, I, nah, I don't think the the Suns would have came off of big white dude, uh, Aaron Baines. I don't think they would have came off of him, but that would have been a great move for them or the Clippers, honestly. The Clippers should have went after him. They needed the size more than the Lakers, but another shooter would have definitely been great for LA, but overall, unless they get another guard, because Rajon Rondo has not been fantastic for them. The rotations with Rondo on the court have not been great, but unless they get Darren Collison or maybe they want to roll the dice on Isaiah Thomas since the Clippers aren't going to keep him. I don't know, but I do wish the Lakers would have been more aggressive and maybe they could even went after D Rose or something like that, but they didn't. They're going to have to pretty much keep what they have unless they go out on the buyout market or convince Darren Collison to no longer be a Jehovah's Witness because that's what he retired for. But hey, I don't know. That's what we got. All-Star weekend is next weekend, so I guess they get to relax for this next week. Uh, and I'm done. This is it. That's all I had to talk to you about. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. If you did make it this far, I do ask that you share the podcast because the fastest way word travel is by word of mouth. Uh, tell your aunt. Tell her to tell her husband. Even if he don't like sports, tell him to tell his homies. Something like that. I really appreciate each and every one of you guys. Again, this is Miles Wilson for the Judgment Call podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys when I see you guys. Peace out.